welcome to the 444 podcast Where you gotta catch it like, like a drop pass You know Dom is hitting all of the topics Ranging from the flyers to the process You know it's heavy sixers in my city From Embiid to Simmons You know we keep it gritty And the Phillies is ringing the bell The skipper got this team ready to sell No national love for Harper, right? I would've signed Bryce twice, the price was right, uh Wentz to Earth, such a connection Turnover on downs, Malcolm Jenkins in a session We back to being the beast from the east Turn the volume up and let Dom speak What up, what up, what up? What's going on, everybody? This is Dom Lewis here, and I'm here with uh, part three of this series, three-part series of the Philly Sports 4 for 4 podcast. Um, it is currently April the 30th, and it's 2.15 in the morning. Uh, I'm recording this a little bit later than expected, but uh, trying to have this done by the morning um, in order to you guys to have all three parts Uh Episodes 46, 47, and 48. Um, this particular episode is on parts three and four of the Last Dance documentary. Um, if you didn't listen to parts one and two of this three-part series already, which are episodes 46 and 47 of the podcast, I talked about uh, one and two, parts one and two of the Last Dance documentary, as well as my breakdown of the NFL draft. And if you haven't listened to them already, please do so please uh take your take a chance and uh get on apple spotify google play however you get your podcast on anchor if you if you don't have a podcast uh app that you use and you can listen to them for free please share them share 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 and uh, i have a uh kind of a big announcement coming up at the end of this podcast so i just uh i'll get right into it and i just want to thank everybody for listening um everybody who's listened this week and uh, I appreciate you guys, um, your support. So thank you. And without further ado, let's get into it. So uh, I watched parts three and four on Sunday. I actually rewatched the parts uh, earlier this evening. And uh, I just wanted to take a well, I took some notes when it happened and I, I took a few more notes just to make sure I was going to cover everything I wanted to cover in this particular episode of the pod. So they got into exactly what I wanted them to get into in regards to um, part three in Rodman. Um, they got into the off the court stuff, which was great. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot to, there's a lot that was unsaid. I mean, cause you, I clearly can't say everything, but man, you just look at this, this team, this roster, things they went through during this year. And I'm, I just wonder as I'm watching, I'm like, how in the world did they pull it off and win a championship? Just how did they do it? Because it's like every other week or every day or, you know, every moment there was something going on. Like, just when they start to pull it together, the team falls apart. Um, just very, very good stuff. Very interesting stuff. So, um, watch the Rodman episode, which was episode three. 
spotlight on Dennis Rodman. It kind of went through the beginnings of Rodman as far as um, his, you know, him growing up. Not even him growing up, but more so him being 18 and, and kind of being homeless. And then him him playing, uh, I think it was Southeastern Oklahoma State University. Never even heard of the place. But um, they show him um, clips of him playing there. And the first thing I noticed is that he's just full of energy. And if you if you never watched Dennis Rodman play or had the opportunity to watch him play, he was full of energy. I can say that. Um, you know, I just thought that. You know, I, I when I look at him, when I look at it over the years, I'm just like, man, I, I didn't understand, you know, how this guy who, perceived, who was perceived to be like a weirdo off the court, how he was just so good at basketball. But he is he is honestly, if he's not the top on the ball uh, rebounder, defender, um, he's, he's easily top three. Like the dude, he's just an absolute you know, monster when it came to playing defense and the rebounding the basketball. And just, just, it was just great stuff from what I watched. So they go through his, you know, his um, college career a little bit, show them how much energy he had and, you know, his numbers in college. I mean, he was, he was really, really a good basketball player. I mean, I know it's a small college and, you know, um, the spotlight wasn't really on that particular school. But he did very well and got drafted, uh, went to Detroit. And he says, uh, I thought it was interesting, the part that I saw about um, him saying that, um, let me stop saying, um, but I thought it was interesting when he said by his third year, he realized that he could be a specialist in rebounding the ball and playing great defense. And then he talks about, they show a clip of him uh, breaking down how to get rebounds, how to how to uh, how to project where the ball is going to go once it bounces off the rim, where he needs to position himself. And I'm just like, that's just high basketball IQ. And I listen, I know for people who play professional basketball, it may not seem like the greatest thing, you know. And me as a fan, it might seem like a really great thing just to hear someone talk about it. But in retrospect, like this is what he focused on and he got really, he became the best at it, not just really good at it. He became the best at it. And I just thought it was really, really interesting him breaking it down. Um, so they go into him getting drafted in Detroit and I mean, he got there and they had success early. I mean, he, they won championships when he was there. He became the defensive player of the year one year when he was there. Um, and Chuck Daly being his first head coach in the league, he built a great friendship and relationship and, you know, student to teachership with him. So talks about how, how Chuck Daly just understood him, how he knew how to manage him. And, and it, you, if you pay attention to that, you see that by him having Chuck Daly and him having Phil Jackson, these particular coaches just knew how to manage that personality. They knew how to manage Dennis Rodman. Like he is not the prototypical uh, basketball player in the sense of, you know, personality. He's not, he wasn't, you know, the, uh, the, how can I say this? Like he just wasn't the, I came up through the, you know, played basketball all my life. I came through the ranks. You know, I've been working all my life to get to the NBA. 
he played basketball like not say pretty late, but he played basketball late in his career. Um in his youth, I should say. And he just got really good at it. And he lucked up and he went to a college where he really blossomed. And with hard work and a lot of luck, he got into the league. So they show his you know, they show him the clips in of him in um Detroit and played well on those teams, those bad boy teams, and really embraced that moniker of being a bad boy. And, you know, later down the line, he came out with the book, Bad As I Want to Be. So he developed into this defensive specialist, this rebounding specialist, uh, one defensive player of the year at one point in his career. Um, but the character development, that, that bad boy, I guess you could say, mentality, both on and off the court, kind of developed in Detroit. He talks about that, how it developed while he was in Detroit. And he got to a point where he was no longer happy in Detroit and they traded him to San Antonio. And he still played well in San Antonio, but this is where the dying of the hair came and the tattoos and the partying. This happened in San Antonio. This is kind of where it... uh, really 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 uh, showed its face and he was eventually traded to the Chicago Bulls and before he even got to the Bulls they you know they met with Michael met with Scotty Phil the brain trust I would say and you know hey do, do should we go after Dennis Rodman and they're like nah like they knew what they knew what Dennis Rodman was about they had played them played him previously when he played in Detroit, like they they kind of had a the sense of what Robin was like, and it was they didn't they didn't want Robin, they didn't want him at all, um, and he was kind of he wasn't even pressed to even be a Chicago Bull, but he be, he became a Chicago Bull, and he really blossomed there because one thing that they did that he liked is that they cared really really cared about basketball. He says it. They really, really cared about basketball. They cared about winning. And he just wanted to win. He just wanted to play, you know, a hard style of basketball, hard brand of basketball, and just win. And he did. they did that there. They did that there. So it shows, like, he may have not been friends with Scotty. He may not have been friends with Michael. But the best thing by him being in, in Chicago was Phil Jackson because Phil knew how to manage that type of personality he is a and they they, they kind of got their bond from uh they said it was a native american bond which i thought was really really interesting because phil grew up in montana um and he said he had got this he saw this piece on phil's wall they had got this from um some tribe of indians or i shouldn't say indians native americans he got this uh from a tribe in oklahoma and they started bonding over that. And he said, oh, you know, this means that you're a backwards walker or something along those lines. And I just thought it was interesting because at that point, they kind of they kind of built a friendship there. And I think I think by seeing Dennis Rodman, I think the biggest thing is he has to learn how to trust someone, somebody, someone. And being able to trust Phil allowed them to allow them the Chicago Bulls to get the best out of Dennis Rodman um even him being a little bit older not being you know as young and spry as he was in Detroit 
I feel like that having him be able to trust Phil Jackson and then being able to trust Michael and Scotty and and, and their hard work and their, their will and dedication toward winning allowed them to get the best out of Robin they could. Now I'm not saying that it was all smooth and gravy because it was it got rocky at times. Um, and, and you see it in this episode when they talk about uh, the trip to Vegas and um, they talk about uh, Scotty being out and you know Mike being able to rely on someone not being able to rely on anybody and you know they had to kind of inspire or um, motivate Rodman into being the second fiddle and him becoming the quote unquote glue for the team and holding them together while Scotty was out and I respect that like I, I respect that you know um, and I'll get into that in the second part of this uh, podcast but the biggest thing with Phil Jackson was spreading the ball around and being able to make Michael Jordan's teammates better that's the biggest thing and him being a master to me Phil Jackson's a master motivator I don't know how he does it but he knows how to motivate players of all different personalities and backgrounds. Um, he understands all players aren't the same. And he just knows how to manage those personalities and get the best out of those players. And that's what it seems like Phil Jackson did to Rodman. And I respect that. I respect that because, um, you know, you see the clip at the beginning he's saying like Rodman saying like he's bored and he just has to find some motivation. And I don't know where he found it. I mean, they talk about it a little bit where he found it. And um, there's one game where he got thrown out. And Mike was Mike was pretty upset. <laughs> he was pretty upset at him. And the biggest thing is that Rodman knew they let Mike down. And it's not even a, a sense of, it's not fear. It's just more so respect. Like, I let my guy down here. Like, I let my teammates down. I let my team down. I let my coach down. And he knew at that point, that was like the motivating factor for him at that point. And it was interesting to see that because um, you see him go on like a win streak and everything. But interesting to see that it took that. It took for him to really see like he let his team down or something really stupid. Um, So you say, you know what? I got to pull it together because my team needs me. So you see, after um, letting his team down, he straightens up, basically. And he's playing hard. Like I said, he he comes in as, like, the second fiddle um, and kind of fills that second most important role on the team in regards to Michael Jordan being the first. So I'm saying Michael Jordan being first and him being second. However, when... Scotty Pippen returns. Scotty automatically takes um, Reigns, being you know the second option on the team, and, and Robin feels out of place. So his production dips a little bit, and he's having like sort of a mental strain. And he meets with Michael, meets with Phil. No, he meets with Phil first, and then Phil meets with Michael and Scotty. <laughs> This telling it is funny. Like, <laughs> so he meets with them and he says, "Look, I need to get away. I need to get away from the team. Like, I need a vacation. I need some time to 
clear my head. And I said, like, first of all, Mike's not for it. Because Mike's like, look, if anybody needs a vacation, I'm needing a vacation. Because, you know, he has been the guy all season. This team has been underachieving. Um, They've dealt with so much drama and so much, uh, you know, friction throughout the entire season. And Mike's just been playing every single game. And he's been dealing with it all. So he's like, if anybody needs a vacation, I need a, a bleep bleep vacation. <laughs> so, so somehow they all agreed to it. And they're like, okay, like, okay, where do you need to go? Like, where do you need to get away to? He tells them Vegas. <laughs> it's fun. Listen, when this was happening, I was, I was 10. So I didn't even realize all of the, the madness that was going on with this team. You know, I know some people did, but I didn't like, I didn't realize that like, we didn't have Twitter and Facebook and all of that stuff. You know, you can't, you didn't have internet. Like you had dial up internet in 1997. So nobody was researching this, this stuff. And this was, this is absolute, this is crazy. I need to go to Vegas. I need to get away for 40 hours. I need to go to Vegas and I need to just let loose. And he goes, they show him he's in Vegas. Like he's partying. Of course, they can't get all the way in depth to what he was doing, but I mean, he's partying. He's at you know clubs, after hour spots, after after hour spots. You know, partying at the bar, drinking. You know, all kinds of just madness, just ensuing insanity, pure insanity. Um, so the rule was he he could get forty eight hours to do this, and of course, he's not back in forty eight hours, <laughs> and Mike. Mike's like, we got to go get him. So they went out there to go get him. And they like, they found him in bed. Um, he, and Mike says, I'm not even going to talk about what was in the bed or none of that. You know, they just go out there and they go get him. And the amount of memes that I saw in regards to uh, like the reaction of what Dennis Rodman reaction probably was when Michael Jordan walked into the room. It's just insane. And. I'm telling you, the internet has been, like, one of the best places in regards to, like, being, like, quarantined and, and shut out of the world because the jokes that ensue, man, are are crazy. And I just, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy them. I thoroughly enjoy all of it. But, so they get him, they get him back from Vegas. And, you know, they're trying, Phil thinks, he, Phil thinks that Dennis has to get back in shape. So, Mike talks about they doing this Indian run. And basically, like, there's a leader of the line, and you follow this leader, and then the last person in line has to run up in front of the first person in line, the leader, and then they become the leader. And then you kind of run at that pace of the, the whoever the leader is. And Mike says, I'm telling I told everybody they need to run slow because I'm not getting punished because of Dennis needing to get back in shape. Well, Dennis is doing this any run with him, and then he becomes the leader of the line. He said Mike said it took him four laps to catch Dennis Rodman because he never got out of shape. Like he came back, he needed to get away. He needed that to, for some reason, he just needed that to get his focus back. And him being able to do that allowed him to just hone back in and understand what his role was on this team. And you know, it's just like I said, he he just was a different, different guy. He was a different person. And Phil knew how to manage that personality and get the best and get the most out of him. Like, you think about it. Like, 
Rodman was never one to score points, but he led the league in rebounds for six consecutive years. I just, I was looking it up. Like, from 92 to 98, he led the league in rebounds. And when they broke this up, of course, he went to, like, you know, the lockout was in 99. So, um, he only played a few games in 99. And then uh, he signed to be signed with the Mavericks. He only played a few games with them because he really didn't want to be there. But you look at all this, and for the time that he was honed in and really wanted to play basketball... He was all in on it. He was all in. He was really, really a good player. Really good player. And it just shows you that you need the guys on the team. And he says it. You need the guys on your team to do the dirty work. He, like, he said, he's like, you know, Michael Jordan doesn't do what I do. He, he like, now nah, it's not the ability. It's not a lack for lack of ability. But he's like, Michael Jordan doesn't do what I do. Like, I'm going to get the rebounds. I'm going to let my face get bruised and battered and cut and all of that stuff. I want my nose broken so I can actually I walk away from this game like knowing what I contributed to the game. And he's all for it. Like he's all for it. I'm actually rewatching it right now and it's showing like this clip of uh, Mike talking to a bunch of people on staff. But he got a suit on and all of this. But in front of him on the floor, he got my favorite Jordans. They just sitting on the floor. That he got games, thirteen. I just love those sneakers, love them, man. I love those sneakers. I got them. I got two pairs. I got the he got games and I got the the bread thirteens, and they just they never coming out of the box. <laughs> but I digress. Um, so you need a guy on your team, and then I, I thought it was interesting when I saw the Twitter reaction afterwards from this episode because I think it was um. Um, C.J. McCollum from the, tr- the Portland Trailblazers, he said, everybody got a, a, um, a Dennis Rodman on the team. Everybody needs a Dennis Rodman on the team, a guy that that, that does that dirty work, that just doesn't care um, about the notoriety and the points and the stats, none of that. He just cares about getting doing his job and getting his job done and for the overall success of the team. He's that cog that they need. And I think, I think it's true. I think every team needs that kind of person. I really do. Um... I can't even tell you who I think that the Sixers person is, you know, in regards to a person doing that dirty work today. Cause I, I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is on, on that team. And if I think that if they had that person, um, they would be better off, but I don't want to talk about anything that gets me angry. Like the Sixers. I just want to break down this documentary from what I watched. Um, so I just thought that, in, that this episode was interesting. And then it goes into, um, Mike being asked so much about when Scotty coming back, when Scotty coming back, when Scotty coming back. What are you gonna do after the season's over? What are you gonna do? Like all of this drama that ensued. Like I just don't know how they were able to hone in and focus on winning the championship. And it just shows you that you really need talented players. You need a great coach, and you really need to be able to block out all the noise. You really do because. Without that, I just don't know how you really win in this league. How you really win, period. And it takes leadership. And if you were to listen, I think it was a it was a few episodes ago, um, a few episodes ago. But I talked about the Sixers lacking leadership, and this is their problem. Like they don't have it on the sideline, and they don't have it on the court, and that's why they're not achieving what they should be achieving. Like it shows you, like just by watching this documentary, 
you see that you need leadership both on the court, on the sideline, in the front office in order to achieve what you're trying to achieve and, and, and win a championship. You do. It sounds very simple, but most teams don't have it. Most teams don't have great leadership anyway. And that's what sucks. That's what sucks about the Sixers anyway. But just watching this, I was able to think. I don't think I learned anything new except the the in-depth how much, you know, that Vegas thing. He needed to do that Vegas thing. I really didn't know that. And, and, you know, I, I can't even imagine the amount of scrutiny that any team that, had did, that, that would do anything like that today, how much scrutiny they would fall under. I can't even imagine the kind of vitriol and, and the outrage. It would be all, it would be on TV probably 24 hours a day. Like ESPN would be airing all this stuff 24 hours a day. You would see all over Twitter, all over, you know, NBA Twitter. And it's just... Man, it, I can't even imagine. So thank God this was happening in 1997, 1998, whatever. 1998. Thank God this was happening then because I, this wouldn't this wouldn't be able to happen today. Definitely wouldn't be able to happen today. So episode three ends, and they go into episode four, which is like the Phil Jackson episode. And I think one thing. Um, that I, I, that I didn't realize before is that how much Dennis Rodman considered Phil Jackson to be a friend. And I talked about, you know, being student-teacher relationship and just being in a relationship and friendship, but how much he was a friend um, to Dennis Rodman. And like I said before, he needed to be able to trust people. And he was able to trust Phil. And that kind of leads into episode four where it talks about Phil Jackson and, and basically the kind of coach he is. Um, and it talks about Phil like growing up in Montana, which I, <laughs> I swear I didn't even know that until a couple years back because, you know, they said they had to go to Montana to get him in order to become, I think the Knicks executive at the time or, or uh, they were trying to bring him out of retire. I don't know. Retirement, the coach, something I can't, I can't even remember. But I didn't even know about him in Montana. I didn't know he was from Montana. Um, so he talked about his beginnings in Montana. He comes from a family, a um, very religious, spiritual family. Like his, his father was a minister. His mother was in the church. Um, very, very deep rooted. And I think I think he comes from a Pentecostal background. So very deep rooted in, um, you know, religion. And it talks about kind of feel... He talks about growing up playing basketball. Um, he played basketball in high school. He plays basketball in college at North Dakota, which I didn't know he played went to North Dakota. Um, and then he talks about his career basically with the Knicks. And playing for the Knicks, wins two championships there, but it shows him kind of it shows a little glimpse of what kind of player he is. And someone says it. I think it was the reporter from uh, from the Chicago Tribune that's on here. I can't think of the guy's name, but he said he was he was like the Dennis Rodman before Dennis Rodman, like he did the dirty work, he did the grunt work that nobody wanted to do, um, kind of like the the not bullying of people, but like the punching and and the little the little dirty things that you don't see. 
he did that like that kind of that that dirty work that you needed you know somebody to do he was that Dennis Robin before Dennis Robin so I thought that was interesting to see um but then it gets into his coaching career because um he coached in um in Puerto Rico of all places actually coaches in Puerto Rico and and then eventually comes back and coaches in the CBA which I, I'm assuming it was like the G League at the time um he coaches in the CBA he wins a championship in the CBA in 1984 this is actually ironic because this is when Jordan got drafted uh he wins a championship in 1984 and then he becomes the assistant coach for the Chicago Bulls he gets hired by Jerry Krause becomes the assistant coach now um it goes into actually how he learned the triangle offense he learned it from um another assistant coach that was with the Bulls named Tex what was his name mm-hmm. was it I want to say Tex Avery but that's not that's not his name um, I have it written down. Why can't I find it? Tex Winter, excuse me, Tex Winter. So he learns the triangle offense from Tex Winter, um, who was another assistant coach. On and this, and he, they were both assistants under Doug Collins. So, um, they fired Jordan's first coach, and then they hired Doug Collins. Um, Doug Collins is the head coach, and you know he coached the team from '86 to '89. But it went, it went into um, how. Uh, Tex Winter designed like this 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 triangle offense, and based based on ball movement, and it, it goes into you know it breaks it down, and I think Doug Collins played a lot of isolation basketball by having Michael Jordan. Like he, you know, strictly he strictly put Michael in a lot of isolation situations because well, let's face it, Michael Jordan is the best player on the planet at the time, and he's like, look, I need to have the the, the ball and and the hands of the best player in the world of course he's going to do that so um he puts the ball in, basically you know he doug was like not one for i guess this pushback in regards to um running the offense so i'm gonna run it the way i want to run it and um i guess that uh tex winter kind of pissed him off a little bit so he he basically um, reduced his role and had him just like kind of charting practices. You know, he couldn't sit on the bench during the games. And he worked a lot behind the scenes. And then in 89, well, in 89, after they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, they fire Doug Collins. And it's crazy because they're just they're winning with they won with Doug Collins. They were winning with them. They, they just fall short. You know, Game Seven, Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, they lose, and understand like Scottie Pippen had this, uh, you know, this migraine headache. This is the Scottie migraine game for you know, people who don't know, but this is the Scottie migraine game, and Scottie basically is out of commission, and. You know, Jordan's basically doing it by himself. And they lose. They lose, basically. They lose. And, you know, you would think that they would bring back the coach that got them to the, you know, to the brink. Kind of how, kind of how Brett, how they did with Brett Brown. But they fire him. And they bring in Phil Jackson. They hire Phil Jackson as the head coach. I mean, truth be told, I think that this probably would have happened anyway. 
whether they would have lost. Um, the only thing that probably would have prevented it from happening is they will if they would have won the finals that year, because um, you, you can see that Jerry Krause, that Phil Jackson was Jerry Krause's guy, and and this guy Tex Winter was Jerry Krause's guy, and he wanted them to be. He wanted Phil to be the coach. He saw Phil was you know he grew enough where he could become the head coach of this team, and he wanted him to be the head coach. So. You know, it was going to happen regardless. I think, I think it would have happened eventually anyway. So they, you know, they fired Doug Collins. Phil Jackson gets hired, and um, they take off from there. But Phil's Phil's philosophy was, you know, moving the ball, the triangle offense, moving the ball, and I think this is the most important part. He said, "I'm not worried about you, Michael, but." We need to make your teammates better. We need to get the most out of your teammates. And that's where Phil flourished. Because, like I said, the managing of the personalities and understanding, like, strengths and weaknesses of the players and what to get, what they need to do, you know, what each of them needs to do better. Just just being a coach. Just being a coach. Like, understanding what each, which each member of the team needs to do better in order to, you know, succeed and grow and for the betterment of the team. And... Um, by running this offense, this new offense, um, and getting other teammates involved, this actually allowed. I thought this was interesting to see and to hear, but this allowed Scotty to become a point forward or um, to develop into a point forward. So he is probably the first, uh, the first one of the first or the first to even be done with that name point four. They probably weren't calling it that back then, but he kind of developed into that role. And it's just interesting to see because, um, I mean, now the league is, is full of it. Now the league is full of point forwards um, and positionless basketball. But it's interesting to see that then, like, you know, he, because he's, you know, they talk in the Scotty Pippen episode, they talk about Scotty still having the, the, um, the skills of a guard, but he got so tall that he had to play forward. So, develop, 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 and this allows the team to become that much better. Now, they lose the, in Phil's first year as head coach because they lose, you know, um, I'm sorry, I said, um, they lost in game seven, so let me go back. They lost in game seven um, during Doug Collins' last year, but they lost in game seven as well in uh in Phil Jackson's first year, and that was the Scottie Pippen uh, migraine game. So I apologize. I got that information wrong. I'm sorry. I just jumped the gun on it, but um, that was the Scottie Pippen migraine game because the next year they came back when they actually won in 91, Scottie Pippen actually had a really great game seven. And it's kind of like, you know, retribution for him having the migraine game, basically. So, um... So Phil just it shows him like basically the management of how he how his management style of players. And you can see like just by watching this episode, like the genius of Phil Jackson. Because it's not like this was, you know, a one-time deal. Or it's not like it was a uh you know um, a one-off kind of deal. This man won six championships with this organization. He carried him to the first championship and then you know, winning five championships after that, winning six total, and then goes to another organization and wins five championships with the Lakers. Now, granted, 
he had, you know, the best players or, you know, I guess you could say on each of these teams, he had two top 10 players in the league. But the fact that he knew how to manage egos and personalities thinks that's, I mean, I think it's no secret. That's what makes Phil Jackson so great. You know, him being the quote unquote Zen master, but Zen master meaning like, I know how to get the best out of my guys and be the master motivator. I think that's the best thing. Um, Phil's best attribute, which is awesome to see. Um, so yeah, I apologize for that that misinformation though, man. I, I didn't mean to get that information wrong. They lost in Game Seven in um, '89 and '90, actually. So they lost both of those Game Sevens, but. They broke through in 91. And think what's interesting here, because the this, this, this episode ends on basically a finals preview. And Chicago goes into Utah, and they're playing Utah. And at first, they're just dominating Utah. They're just giving them the business. I mean, and they're playing, like, some really great basketball. Utah goes on a run eventually, and they actually, they're down... I think it showed Utah down as much as like 16 points or something like that. And then they just, they turn it on a little bit and they, they fall hard and they come back and they win the game. But I think the sad thing of it all was like, not even the game, but everything's happening around the game. So it's basically like all-star break and we're about to go into all-star break. And this article comes out, Jerry Krause saying like, you know, this is Phil Jackson last year. And you know, um, Mike's saying, like, I'm not playing for no other coach besides Phil Jackson. And no, there's no other way around that. So you see, like, the friction here, the friction, you know, with this team and um, all the, I guess you could say, all of the um, distractions with this team. And I'm like, how in the world were they able to pull it together? And I think it's going to be interesting to see episodes five and six and, you know, so on and so forth because. We're going to actually see and find out how they were able to um, pull it all together. We say, like, what Phil had to do, what they needed to do as a team in order to pull it all together and and string it all together and just and, and win their sixth title. So, I think it generates a lot of conversation. I think the interesting part is, um, like I said, seeing that. But I think the the what's more interesting than anything is, you know. I want to see, um, you know, because we always talk about um, in the NBA, like teams having to go on runs during the season in order to, you know, get to a certain seed or whatever. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, when they start to turn on, when they go on a run and, you know, what was being said in the locker room then and more and more of the distractions coming out, how they were able to block out the noise and, you know, how Dan's uh, Robin carries on with the rest of the season, you know, how... Um, the Scotty Pippen um, contract issues, uh, you know, uh, get blocked out so they can actually win a title. And you know, what Mike needs? I mean, cause I don't think Mike needs any motivation. I don't think he needs any motivation. I think he just he gonna play because he's just Mike. But um, I think it's just gonna be interesting to see how this team was able to just turn it on and block everything else out and just play playoff basketball and be the best team and, and people knew that they were already the best team but I just think it's interesting to see them still be the best team in the east with all these distractions like I don't know teams like that today like I feel like the Cavaliers a few years back when they were 
when they went to the finals a few years back, like they weren't the best. I mean, they were the best team because they ended up winning the East, but they didn't have like they weren't the most the most together team. They didn't have the most chemistry as a team. They just happened to have the best player in the world at the time. Um, the Warriors, I I feel like you know you see what distractions do. Like the last year, last last year. Last year, when, you know, all the Kevin Durant talk during the season and, um, like, people not knowing what he's going to do and just all the talk, like, you see the wheels eventually just fall off of a team. If you don't have a, a like, not saying a good manager because I think Steve Kerr is a really, really good coach. And, you know, not to be, like, not to be undersold, like, he he's, he's there for all this because he's on this team. So, you know, he went through all this drama. So, if anything, if anyone knows how to manage distractions, it's Phil, it, I mean, it's Steve Kerr. But, you know, you can see, like, what distractions and what all the turmoil will do to a team eventually. Like, distractions, turmoil, injuries, attrition, all of it plays a role. And this team faced all of it, and they still won a championship. Think that is the, that's, we're, like, not even realizing how great this team really, really was. And that's what I want to see for the rest of the series. So I'm interested to see all of that. Um... It should be good. I'm gonna be tuning um, episodes five and six um, on Sunday night. I'll be watching it and then probably rewatching it. Um, don't know when I'll record the pod for it, but I will be watching it probably a few times before I actually record the pod. So maybe Monday or Tuesday. I don't know. But you will definitely get a podcast a reaction from it. I have to. All right. So um, that's my uh, little. You know, reaction pod to episodes three and four of the Last Dance documentary. Like I said, I think this is just a, this is just a great piece of work, and I commend ESPN and Netflix. You know, um, and uh, all the all the crew, everyone who's involved. I just commend them all for putting this all together and, and giving us this content because it's definitely something worthy of being talked about. And I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we have it. I'm glad that we have it. All right. Um, before I go, I just want to say, um, in my, well, let me first apologize for my last episode. I think the audio was a little bit bad. Um, I had lost my original audio and then, um, and then I re-recorded it, but, um, I was like, in a, I was in my grandparents' house basically. So, um, I was trying to, trying to drown out the noise in the back, but I, I tried to layer it with like background music and it just turned out bad so i apologize for poor audio in episode 47 i hope that those of you that listened were able to get my thoughts clearly on what was going on um and what my thought was or thoughts were on the nfl draft and um the second thing i wanted to talk about was tomorrow so uh well actually today thursday april 30th i will be hosting the first ever ever zoom for uh the Philly Sports 444 podcast uh, group chat. So, those who, or if you don't know, which you should know by now, I have a group chat for uh, a couple people that are uh, that listen to the podcast. So, so, I think it's about 12 or 13 of us now. And we just, you know, we all have iPhones. So, it's an iPhone group chat. And we just all talk about sports during the day. We all talk about uh, things. Um, that are relevant to sports, whether they're Philly sports or not. Uh, lately, we've been talking about the NFL draft, and the biggest chatter today was, uh, 
you know, the Eagles draft picks and how Howie Roseman should get fired. So, you know, we, 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 you know, we banter and bicker over stuff like that. But tomorrow we'll be having a Zoom. So my first ever Zoom, um, you know, on the Zoom app, as you know, like during this quarantine or during this time of social distancing, Zoom has been a very big instrumental instrumental uh, application used by businesses and for personal life as well. And we'll be, uh, I'll be having my first ever Zoom kind of hangout or get together, whatever you want to call it, tomorrow night or tonight, actually at 8 p.m. Um, I have the information available to anyone who wants to uh, tune in. Um, I can get the information to you. If you listen to this podcast before the Zoom actually happens, I can get the information to you um, and you can you can join the podcast. I mean, you can join the Zoom. Trust me. Uh, I have it currently set for 40 minutes because that's uh, how much the free version will give you. And then after that, um, I think you have to pay for it. So I might actually just end up paying a little bit and just extending it because I feel like um, we may not get through everything we need to talk about in 40 minutes. So um, I'm still working on that. But the Zoom will definitely be happening tonight, 8 p.m. Um, if you want the information, if you need the information, Please reach out to me. You can reach out to me on DM, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I don't even care. Uh, email. I will get the information to you. And please, I would love to have you. Even if you're not even a Philadelphia sports fan. If you wanted to talk about the last dance. If you want to talk about the NFL draft in general. Be my guest. You, you're more than welcome to join the Zoom. All right. So I'm having it tonight. 8 p.m. Thursday, April 30th, 8 p.m. Please feel free. You can join um, and we can just have a, a you know a civilized discussion on uh, the NFL draft or on the last dance or on Philly sports or on sports in general. Uh, we don't really have sports right now, but we can still talk sports. All right. So I thank you guys for tuning in. As always, please share the podcast um, and please follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's at four for four podcast. F-O-U-R-F-O-R, the number four podcast. You can follow us. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Google, on Spotify, on Anchor. And there are a couple other platforms that use um, that provide our services as well, or, or stream our podcast as well. So we thank them. But if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. I thank you all for tuning in. Um, I, I hope to see you on the Zoom, okay? Hope to see you on the Zoom. And if you don't make it, um, if things turn out to be successful, I'll have another one. But I hope to see you all on there tonight. All right. Tonight, 8 p.m. If you need the information or if you you know need to get to the information, please, please, please reach out to me. I got you. I'll get you looped in. All right. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in and peace.